Dreams have ways of turning into nightmares. Aaron Morgenstern, The Night Circus. File and Vice contains graphic and or explicit content, which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. everyone and welcome back to another episode of Violin Vice. My name is Audie Griffith. And I am John John Griffith. Hello. Hello. If you guys could do us a favor, hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. You'd really, really appreciate it. And John John, are you excited for today's episode? These they're all a mystery to me, Audie. I I don't know if I should be excited, worried, concerned, or intrigued. I I just what the viewers know more about this than I do at this point. <laughs> Listeners, viewers, both. I don't know. Yeah, so in honor of Nevada State Fair, we are doing Killer Carnies. Woo! Okay, the killer part's a worry. The Carnies is an intrigue. Yeah, yeah. So we are going to cover one murdery fair that, that doesn't take place in Nevada. We just had our state fair, so... This is kind of where we got our idea from. And mm. yeah. So weren't you in a musical state fair? I was back in junior year. I was just part of the ensemble, but it was a lot of fun. And uh my dance mm. partner for most of the musicals, Zach, ended up being my prom date for junior year, but he was a he was a hoot. He was a lot of fun. Well, that's fine. So lots of intertwined stuff. I'm pretty sure dad at this point is already singing some songs about state fair yeah he's probably like our state fair is a great state fair (laughs) definitely (laughs) that sounds like dad all right yeah (laughs) Uh, so speaking about state fairs let's get into some fun facts i love fun facts yeah fun facts Woo! all right so our episode today kind of involves a county fair and not necessarily a state fair the histories of fairs are embedded in human culture the first date of the first fair isn't known but we know that they date at least back to the biblical times as early as 500 bc and this is just due to the book of ezekiel mentioning the fair but if is it a fair or a festival or is it including both of them I believe this is a fair because I know festivals were predate the Bible. Yeah, but what what makes it a fair and not a festival? Is it just like more just a like a group coming in to like and causing a celebration where like a festival is a pre-planned celebration? Is that the difference? Um I believe like a traveling vendors probably are what fairs are and whether that's people traveling from town to town or whatnot Mm. or like festivals back then like the town would put on and it would just be townsfolk yeah if that makes sense like there's a travel element to it yeah so like the fair comes to you you don't set it up yeah okay uh okay that makes sense yeah so so does that mean circuses are fairs i mean you could consider it I guess. Um, I know that sometimes circuses were part of fairs. Like, you'd have a circus tent with a fair. Hmm. Weird. 
Yeah. Cool, though. Anyway, yeah. Fairs have been around for a while. Yeah, and the first American fair was presented in Windsor, Nova Scotia, and fairs, you know, continue on to today. The first, the first fair in the North America was in Canada, not the U.S. That is correct. I believe I said uh, Nova Scotia. Yeah, that um, is so crazy. I I I actually wouldn't have thought that. Like I associate the U.S. with more of that kind of stuff, but Canada, you beat us to the punch. Good they, for you. They did. The first United States Fair was held in Chartered in York, Pennsylvania in 1765, and the United States wasn't quite formed quite yet, and mm. it existed as a two-day agricultural market. That being said, state fairs began and formed in the United States in 1841 in Syracuse, New York. Syracuse? Yeah. Awesome. Hmm. Yeah. But, like, the first U.S. fair was basically a farmer's market? I believe so. Agriculture market, yeah. That sounds about right. That makes sense to me. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So, some other fun fair facts. In Europe, carousels turn clockwise, while in America, they usually rotate counterclockwise. I wonder if... There's a reason for that. Like, maybe it has something to do with, like, the sides of the road that they drive on. Like, I'm guessing England's where most of those carousels started. Or France. But, like, maybe it's just, like, the side of the road that they drive on or something like that. That's why they spin that way. Otherwise, it's just weird preference. It could just be that Americans wanted to be different, you know, like how we use different uh, measurement systems and... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... that... Mm-hmm. We don't do metric around here. Though it would be a Who lot, cares lot if it's easier. An easy, yeah, set up with staff and groups of 10, because, you know, 12 just makes so much... Ne- never mind. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm team metric, but changing it now would seem too difficult. <laughs> so the first time that fairgoers ate hot dogs and ice cream was when they walked along the midway during the St. Louis World's Fair in 1904. So that's kind of the first typical carnival food. And thus these foods coined the term fast foods. That. I guess that makes sense. There's a lot of stuff. I feel like that World's Fair was pretty, like, pretty, like, revolutionary in a lot of stuff. I can't remember all of that was there, but I want to say that, like, a lot of stuff happened at that one. So, mind you, this is the St. Louis, not the Chicago World's Fair. I know we talked about the Chicago Mm -hmm. World's Fair with... um, That was, like, Tesla and Edison and stuff like that, right? Tesla, Edison, and then also our murder house. Yeah. But, like, I want to say, like, the Midway one was, like, where, like, a lot of, like, vehicle and transportation stuff was just, like, like, stuff was starting to look crazy awesome. Yeah. I mean, the World's Fairs around this time were definitely, like, technological advancements. Like, that's when everyone came out to show their stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like an inventor's convention. 
basically, and the population got to look and enjoy all the inventions. Sweet. Yeah. So another fun fact is what we call cotton candy was originally named Fairy Floss and introduced at the St. Louis World's Fair in 1904. So that was something that was introduced at that World Fair. It is I also. Think, I think they still do call that Fairy Floss in the UK. I'm not sure. I believe I you're so. right on that. Um, I know that, uh, again, in some fairs and everything, they do call it Fairy Floss still. Mm-hmm. But just commonly now it's called cotton candy. Yeah, you should like for a fun like little gag type stuff. You could look up what all the different meanings of like different countries' words for cotton candy are, and like a few of them are like way in left field, but some of them just are really just pleasant. Like I think one's just called sugar cloud in the language. So <laughs> you're pretty close on all of them. So one's been called just spun sugar, and then the UK calls it candy floss, um, as well as fairy floss. Okay, I know they definitely do the candy floss. I, I think that's where I'm thinking. They might still call it fairy floss. Yeah. But candy floss sounds more like it's ringing a louder bell for me. Yeah. That's cool. And then speaking about common names, any game that you play at a fair or carnival can also go by the slang name as a joint. As a joint? Yep, they're called joints. Like places to hang out. Okay. I think I'm understanding some, like, 50s slang now. Like, where they're gonna, like, hit up this joint. They're just gonna try a carny game. Yeah, yep. Oh. I'm kind of glad you brought up State Fair earlier. So, according to the HuffPost circa 2017... The top three state fairs are the Iowa State Fair in Des Moines, the Wisconsin State Fair, and then the New York State Fair in Syracuse. So the Iowa State Fair, I believe that's what the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical is based off of, is the Iowa State Fair. I think it might be. I don't know. I was thinking it was like middle of the U.S. though, because like most of that stuff was middle of the U.S., wasn't it? Yeah. So like Iowa makes... Yeah, Iowa makes sense. Your musical was called Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. They just liked the flyover states, kind of. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's... Kansas was a song in Oklahoma that Corey sang. Like Kansas City or something. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah, yep, that was a song. Crazy. Yeah. Oh, that was that was over a decade ago, Audie. Yeah, I know. I, I'm... My 10-year school reunion is next year, which is nuts. Oh, my God. We're, we're getting old. Yeah. How did that happen? Hey, you know, we're approaching 30s. I am 30 now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is... Problems, Audie. Problems. <laughs> yeah. Also, happy belated birthday. I know I called you on your birthday, but happy belated birthday, John John. <laughs> Well, thank you. I feel confused and unprepared, as most would probably say for most birthdays. So, cool. I'm I'm ready for this <laughs> decade, I guess. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. So, sorry, side kind of tangent about turning 30 and everything. There's this one TikToker 
that he, he does a lot of stuff with like COVID and the COVID variants, but he also does a lot of stuff with millennials, Gen Z boomers and all this stuff, like just funny skits. And mm. he just turned 30 the other day too. And yeah. uh, his newest one was uh, millennials walking in and just popping and the Gen Z years go, Hey, can you turn your knee popping down? It's like a chainsaw. And he's like, yeah, I'm 30 now. This is how life is. You start breaking. <laughs> and it was oh just kind of funny. It's so true, though. Oh, I hate it. Yeah. Aging is not ideal. Cool. Oh, well. Anyway. Anyways. Fairs and carnies. Yeah, back to the Iowa State Fair. So... What kind of makes this state fair famous is it's home to the butter sculptures. One of their most famous ones is a butter cow sculpture, and it consists of 600 pounds of low-moisture pure cream Iowa butter. And the butter can be recycled and reused for up to 10 years, according to sculptor Sarah Pratt. As in used for eating or for sculpting? Sculpting. Okay. Yeah. I doubt it's edible at this point. No, after it's been out for so long, you know, with flies and, like, just fairground stuff, it it, it would not be clean. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. It does go in to say, though, that the butter cow sculpture is not necessarily solid butter. Um, The butter can be packed around wood, metal, and wire steel mesh frames to help sculpt shapes. Mm -hmm. It just has to be predominantly out of butter. Yes. And fun fact about this 600-pound sculpture is there's enough butter in this cow for 19,200 slices of toast, which would take it, the average person two lifetimes to eat. I don't know. I mean, if someone was really dedicated, they might be able to squeeze it in a lifetime and a half. Probably. Maybe. You have to be really into toast, though. You probably have to switch up the bread and stuff like that, you know. I'd yeah. probably go with rye more often, though. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> funny thing about this sculpture. So, I don't know if I said it up top before, but this is a repeating butter sculpture. So, like, it's there every year. And on three different occasions, the butter cow actually produced milk. And so, they like, they, like, added a milking pump to it and had, like, a milk jug in it. Okay, I was not at that when you said it produced milk. I'm just like, did like the butter like re reorient itself into milk and just it started to come out? But then you explained that there was a milk pump. So I'm like, oh, there wasn't a dairy miracle, but instead it was just clever sculpting. Okay, that's yeah. fine. And I I just like these butter cow facts because it's it's just interesting to me. So John K. Daniels, the first Iowa State Fair butter sculptor, he lived to be 103 years old. He carved the first butter sculpture? Yeah. You would not think that that kind of 103. Oh, my God. Yep. Okay. Okay. Good for him. Cool. And in 2011, this tradition turned 100 years old at the Iowa State Fair. They have been carving butter cows for 100 years. That's, I mean, it's been around for over 100 years, and I don't know. That makes sense to me. Butter cows. 
Yeah. I wonder how many different kinds of cows that it, like, made. They do do different sculptures, too, at the Iowa State Fair besides just the cow. For example, in 2005, with All New Butter, the cow was sculpted as well as a Tiger Woods sculpture. So that was kind of funny. Yeah, well, I mean, Tiger Woods. You know, I'm just, I'm really trying to resist doing, like, the SNL Mike Myers skit stuff where it's just like, it's just like butter. I'm really trying hard not to keep doing that, but I feel like the more we're going to talk about butter, the more it's going to come out. Oh, there, there was also this vine that Matt and Nate have all been doing um, where it's a dog with butter on its head, and the guy goes, butter dog, dog with the butter, butter dog, dog with the butter on its head. And it's just, it gets stuck in your head, but it, it, gets, oh. it gets really funny. <laughs> oh, that might be like that baple sauce thing. I don't know. That gets stuck in my head all the time. Yeah. But that was a vine that's been circling around on TikTok, too. So it's just been kind of mm. coming back. The good vines always come back. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So out of Iowa and the butter cow uh, <laughs> uh, sculptures, the second best state fair is the Wisconsin State Fair. And that's because it's known for its musical acts, regional fair, and about 50 rides that you can go on. So... I know we went with Aunt Jetty one year. They they had the gondola going all across the fairgrounds. I don't know if you remember that. The little I barely remember it. I don't think I was all that old, and I don't think you were either. No, we were really little. I just remember the gondola. I remember it being really hot that day, and then the gondola mm. was cool, and that's about it. Mm. Yeah, I wish. Like I remember, we went somewhere. I didn't realize until you just mentioned it that it was a, was the state fair. And it's just like, that is, I guess, the only time I've been to the Wisconsin State Fair. And I barely remember it. That's not good. Yeah. I believe around the Disney parks, they also have like a similar gondola going in between parks. But I know that the last time we visited, they now enclose it. It's not just like seats that you sit in. It's like mm. It's like the ski gondolas up the mountains, like those fancy ones. Yeah. 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 Should be cool. Check it out. Go Wisconsin. Woo. So then the New York State Fair, they're known for their big name musical acts and a variety of entertainments like concerts and everything. Um, And this is accessible to all families. So it's like family friendly Mm -hmm. concerts. I mean, it's New York, so it's not like they don't have the funding. So makes sense. It's cool. All right, so moving out of the fun facts, let's get to the where and when of what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, you said county fair, not state fair. Yeah, so this was kind of recent. On July 14th of 2018, an elderly couple, Alfred and Pauline Carpenter, who were vendors at the Barton County Fair, had their murders ordered as part of an induction to an alleged carnival mafia. A carny mob? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's... I I guess, like, I, I'm not saying I'm having a hard time seeing it. I'm just saying I would have never imagined it. Like, it, no, it makes... It, it makes sense to me. But it's also surprising. So, again, I said alleged carny mob. 
So this will we'll kind of dig into it. There, there's there's uh, a bit to unpack here. Okay. I mean, based on that, and if it's not an actual like the Carney mob, then I'm probably as gullible as these two. Yeah, but before we do get into the crime, let's get into a little bit about the town and county where this crime takes place. Barton County has the Santa Fe Trail going through it, and Barton County is in Kansas. The Santa Fe Trail extended from Independence, Missouri to Santa Fe, and Captain William Becknell blazed the trail with four companions. They departed Arrow Rock near the Missouri River on September 1st of 1821, and they started their return journey to Missouri on December 13th of 1821. They made it back in 48 days after successful sale of their goods, and this adventure established the Santa Fe Trail. The trail was officially marked by Congress in 1827, and about 40 miles from Barton County is the home of Fort Hayes, which was hit by a cholera epidemic in 1867. So we're going to get into a little haunting because I like to do a nearby haunting. Oh, of course you do. Yeah. Always with the ghosts in the ghost houses and creepy dolls that you're not supposed to talk about. <laughs> well, I got to add a little spook to the story. So. News. You, you always do the spooky thing. You know <laughs> I go to bed shortly after these things, right? I know, especially with the time difference. I, I have a couple hours. <laughs> to... oh, so mean. So mean. I know you love it, but it's so mean. Yeah. Don't worry. I I don't have anything essentially mean up my sleeve for the foreseeable future, but I want to. We'll get into it later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll have to see then. Mm. Yeah. So Elizabeth Polly tended to the sick and dying at Fort Hayes. When she was not doing that, she liked to take a stroll up Sentinel Hill. Eventually, she did contract the disease and... With her dying, she wanted to be buried on that hill. Unfortunately, this hill was composed of bedrock, so she was then buried at the base instead. In 1905, Fort Hayes was closed and the soldiers' bodies were transferred to a new place of rest, but Elizabeth Polly was left behind. The first reported sighting of her was in 1917 by John Schmidt, who saw a woman dressed in all blue walking towards Sentinel Hill. So, we've had women in white, women in red, and women in black. Now we finally have a woman in blue. Oh, yay. I think all we need now, let's see. We've got white, we've got black, we've got red. What else did we have? This is a new one with blue. Those were the only three we covered so far. Okay, so white, black, red, blue. All right, so we still need Roy G. Orange, yellow... Green. Green, indigo, and violet. And that gets the whole color spec. Maybe gray as well. It can get in there. If we can find all of those, then I would say the collection's complete. I'm pretty sure there is a gray lady somewhere. I think that's a Harry Potter character. Oh, yeah. The, the gray lady was uh, uh, Ravenclaw's, Ravenclaw's daughter. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we I'm know thinking Harry of. Potter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I'm tired today, so forgive me. My Harry Potter knowledge is a little lackluster. But... Oh, mine is always on point. Yeah. No, oh. I'm kidding. I'm, it's not. I just, weird facts. Love it. <laughs> so anyways, back to the lady in blue. So like I said, the first sighting was in 1917. Then in the 1950s, an officer thought he hit a woman in a long blue dress and a bonnet 
but when he got out of his car, there was no damage to the vehicle and no woman in sight. Her ghost continues to haunt the hill and reportedly emits a blue light. Thus, she's called the Blue Light Lady. Today, there is a park in her memory. Reportedly, her grave was moved in 1941 to the summit of the hill, and in 1960s, she received a marker that reads, The Lonely Grave. So, she did get her resting place mm-hmm. on top of the hill eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I almost took this entire thing seriously, but then you called her the blue light lady, and all I could think of is Kmart shopping sales. <laughs> With the blue light sales. Oh. I like the lady in blue better. I do too. That sounds more elegant. The blue light lady sounds like somebody who's trying to describe her, but was stumbling over themselves. It's just like, I saw the blue light lady. Yeah, I saw her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where the lady in blue is, sounds like something you can say in a western saloon. It's real, real elegant. I like it. Yeah. So with that, you know, about the area that this crime takes place in, let's get back to the victims. Who were the carpenters? At the time of their death, the couple had been married for 32 years, and on their remembrance pages, the family indicates that they were the happiest when they were together. They worked at the Barton County Fair selling handmade items as vendors when this crime occurred. They started working the fair circuit after they had retired from Boeing, where they both had worked. So, that's cool that they worked at Boeing, the airplane company. Okay, so it was... Wait, how old were they? Uh, they I believe they were in their 70s. Okay, so like they worked at Boeing, kind of retired and just started working for a carnival. That's that's kind of sweet. Yeah, like they they had a full work life and then the carnival was just their retired hobby to keep them busy. Yeah. Yeah, don't get any ideas though. Yeah. Mhm. So Al is described as really talkative. I don't think he knew a stranger, is what his family described him as. Kind of similar to Dad. Like, I feel like whenever Dad goes somewhere, he can, like, learn somebody's life story within about 10 mm-hmm. to 15 minutes. Oh, pretty much. If not, then they'll, they'll, be, they'll be chatting. Yeah, and mind Dad, you, Dad doesn't Dad's start out the conversation. He usually just gets no. told it. Yeah, he gets... He, he gets told all these nice things and all the stuff and i don't know he's, he's got that vibe he does he's, he's got that friendly vibe yeah mm-hmm. so besi- mom, mom keeps him in check though <laughs> just like we don't have time for this <laughs> well i i just remember growing up whenever dad said 20 minutes it was never 20 minutes yeah we were already home after that point <laughs> But uh, anyways, besides really talkative, the couple was also described as the most nice, caring, and loving people. They had told their grandson, who had asked them to stop working the the affair, that this was going to be their last year on the first circuit as they wanted to get rid of their inventory first. Their grandson told the newspaper he didn't think it would end like this. It is likely the only reason that the couple was selected was because they would make easy targets due to their age. So, let's get on to who murdered them. Mm -hmm. As for the suspects, we don't really know much about their lives before the murder, besides that they were all carnival workers, where they are from, and the actions that they took part in during the murder. 
So the main suspect was Kimberly Younger. She was 52 at the time of the murder, and she pretended to be the mafia leader, Frank Zatatic. Frank what? Zatatic. Kimberly would be in this character when she sent messages to those wishing to be initiated into the mafia. She was from McIntosh, Florida. She operated a Facebook page as Frank Zatatic. The next person is Michael Fowler. He was 54 at the time of the murder. The closest description would be to be Kimberly Young's partner in crime. He was from Sarasota, Florida. In court testimony, Flower revealed that he had been dating Younger for years prior to the murder, but thought that her name was Jenna Roberts. So Kimberly Young had kind of been a notorious liar and using fake names. Okay, so she was pretending to be Frank. This dude knew about her pretending to be Frank, but didn't know her as Kimberly, but as somebody else. Correct. Oh my god, that's complicated. Yeah. So, the next person was Rusty Frazier, who was 37 at the time of the murder. He's from Arkansas Pass, Texas. Then Christy Tenney, who was 35 at the time of the murder of Lamarck, Texas. Then also Thomas Drake, who was 31 at the time of the murder of Van Buren, Arkansas. All these people were carnival workers, and according to another local vendor, all the carnival workers had to pass a strenuous background test. However, in this case, the suspects were CDL truck drivers of the carnival, so they drove the trucks and set up, as opposed to actually working in the carnival itself. That being said, the exact employer mm-hmm. of these people is pretty unclear. Mm-hmm. Or it's more of just like their self-contract type situation, or like something else entirely like they're not quite part of the carnival but they're with the carnival yeah um not quite with the carnival but with carnival um so one other source says that the suspects were employed by a wagner carnival setup but this wasn't confirmed and according to the wagner carnival's website they have a page dedicated to their safety standards which includes equipment training equipment testing drug testing breathalyzers for while they're on duty And that industry standard is typical. I'm not sure of background checks. So. Mm, I think if it goes across state lines, that might be where the background checks get complicated. But all those other things, I think that's something that any company can do federally. So. I don't know. I think. Yeah, the background check type thing, I think gets murky when it goes across different state lines. So, kind of, let's get into what the typical day in the life of carnival worker is like. Oh, yeah. This doesn't really speak to the experience of all carnival workers. This is just what the journalist asked about and kind of uncovered. So, one such journalist reports that many are drawn to the work due to a sense of the community, but there's also a lack of privacy. If one doesn't spend a night in a hotel, they're always waiting their turn for facilities or sharing a bunk room wall. Apparently, there's an option for condos that are fifth wheels split up into sections for showers. People who can't afford trailers often set up tents. And in 2012, ride operators on Reddit reported earnings of about $300 a week, but they noted that the pay is different than normal life because they aren't paying for typical day-to-day expenses unless they choose to. Hmm. So sort of like 
they do get paid less, but they don't have to pay for as many things. Yeah, like because I, it's already provided by for everything else. I'm sure food's like included, and you know, like mm-hmm. you have like the tent or trailer, depending on what you purchase, so you don't have like rent or anything like that or gas expenses, mm-hmm. that sort of yeah. thing. That's interesting. Different take on the working situation. Yeah. And this interview stresses that although carnies get a bad rap from the public, which assumes the carnival workers are mostly addicts or scum, but in most cases they are just individuals who just want to work and have no desire to work an office job. That being said, that article stole notes that ex-cons and addicts do comprise this workforce because although many carnivals have instituted safety measures outlined in the Wagner Carnival, not all have. So another thing is a heavy workload. Rides are dangerous and time-consuming to set up. The workers here take the safety of the rides seriously. This article also warns the public that if the ride looks shabby, like bad paint jobs, missing lights, etc., that would be best to stay away. I don't know. I think, though, the, like, convict and addict type thing, where they, like, consist a decent portion of the employees there, I think it's because... I think a lot of those carnivals and fairs don't really press too hard on, like, having a record. I agree. I mean, I think as long as, like, they don't have, like, they're not out on parole and have to remain in one spot, like, a lot of companies don't actually hire previously convicted people. So, like, when one does, like, they tend to flock to it. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they aren't going to care as much about it yeah so So they are people who are just looking for work and know they can't do the office job because the office jobs probably won't hire them so it's just like i want to work this these people who hire me will go here yeah anywho now that we kind of covered the life of a carney let's get into what happened so the best kind of summation of this we got from the washington post article on this case, and this will be up on the blog. On July 17th of 2018, the police received a call from a woman saying her sister was being held hostage at an apartment complex. The kidnappers allegedly killed two people and then stolen their RV. The officers then went to the complex where they found Christine Tenney, who I covered up above as one of the suspects, who had supposedly been kidnapped. However, she emphatically denied that this was the case when the police arrived. At this point, the police found the carpenter's camper. It was parked outside and had a bullet hole through it. Scattered around the RV had contents of trash bags full of bloody paper towels, the carpenter's blood-soaked clothes, two 9mm spent casings, and a blood-spattered sleep apnea machine. Next, the police found Younger, whose explanation about the carpenter's whereabouts, and as well as Younger's refusal to provide her name to the officers, made them suspicious. She told the police that she drove them to a rental car company, the Carpenters, and that they were headed to a casino, but she couldn't recall the name of the rental car company that she took them to. So she told the police that she brought them somewhere so they wouldn't be there, but really they were there and they were dead. Correct. Basically Uh, saying that she took them to a rental car company and I think that they were headed to a casino, but again, all their blood and... Uh, bullet casings and all that proved otherwise and she wouldn't tell the police officers her real name 
Mm-hmm. That's pretty sketchy. Under questioning by the detectives, Fowler told the police the following. Younger distracted Alfred Carpenter, which allowed Fowler to grab him. Fowler then put him in a headlock and tried to cut his throat. When Carpenter fought back, Fraser came in and stabbed Carpenter in the chest. Then Fowler shot Alfred Carpenter twice in the head. After Alfred Carpenter was dead, Fowler went inside and shot Pauline Carpenter while she slept. Then the four loaded their bodies into the camper and drove it to Van Buren, Arkansas, where Fowler's daughter had lived. They got rid of the Carpenters' bodies by placing them in a creek bed off a star road on North Cedarville in Crawford County and piled sticks and rocks on top of them. So, you might be asking, where does this mafia come in? We mentioned above that Younger went by an alias of Frank Zatachik. There is a real Frank Zatachik who owns Waitrose Inc., who owns a traveling carnival company in Michigan. He denied any connection with the suspects in an employment or personal context. Thus, he had no idea why she used his name, which he described as really bone-chilling. So, she just got this guy guy's yeah. name that worked in a carnival company that she was not affiliated to at all mm-hmm. and just used him as like the head honcho boss mm. weird which again he wasn't affiliated didn't know anything about it yeah like the only connection is that he has some association with a carnival just, just not, not this players. carnival yeah mm-hmm Accordingly, Younger operated a Facebook page and pretended to message Fowler as Zatachik and that there was a carnival mafia which involved money laundering. Money laundering. 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 Thank you. Money laundering and murder. Apparently, she had also had a few other fake Facebook profiles with her various aliases. Younger used the story to convince Fowler that there was a carnival mafia and convinced him that he needed a blood in to join. Thus, following the murders, Fowler messaged Zatachik. It's done. They're dead. Micro Fowler wrote in the Facebook message just before 2.30 a.m. on July 14th, according to the police report. The following is all part of this Facebook message. Good job. Now get out. Frank Zatachik. I'm trying to calm down right now, Fowler replied. Deep breaths, Zatachik reported. The first is always the hardest. Jen sent me pictures of the man. I sent on to the heads of the council. The war is over. Feller, thank God, and okay, I feel like I got a lead weight on my chest. Younger, you need to relax. Feller, I am. My chest has eased up a little bit. So this was just describing the murders over Facebook. Mm-hmm. And that is just like the chick pretending to be the boss and the guy that essentially set it up. Yep, and then the check also using her Facebook account to be as, like, a third party in this conversation. Mm, okay. So, so she, she's doing two parts of the conversation. Correct. Younger and Zatachik. Yeah. My goodness. So, this conversation describes, like, a war, a council, and the mafia. Except there is no war, there is no heads of council, or a mafia to speak of. Police believe it was entirely fabricated by Younger. As mentioned above, the carnival vendors and workers tend to be regulated for the safety of the public. Fowler is quoted saying, She had me suckered the whole way. I just threw my whole life away. Three of the four people that were suspects pled guilty. 
Younger decided to plead not guilty and waived her right to a speedy trial. She was held 150 days in arraignment. After all their trials and sentencing, the sentence were as follows. Frazier got 50 years. Tenney got 59 months for aggravated robbery and obstruction. And Fowler got life in prison without possibility of parole for 100 years. The following year at the fair, the community posted a sign and memorial of the couple, and vendors admitted to being more on guard than in the past. It was Fowler who had the... 100 years uh, without the possibility of parole, because he did the murders. Yeah. Huh. But Younger is still in prison, just awaiting trial. Correct. Yeah, okay. so Fowler was, you know, the person that committed the murder of Younger's mm-hmm. kind of partner yeah. crime. And Younger is essentially the one who orchestrated it. Yes. Mm. Okay. Frazier helped, and Tenney was kind of there and robbed and obstructed mm-hmm. justice. It's just like a participant but not active one. Yeah, she she was the one that, you know, was the pretend kidnappy and all that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Weird. Yeah. So, that's our case. Carnival Mafia, uh, Lady of Living Multiple Personalities. Um, yeah. I mean, that sounds like it could be a show. It honestly could. They, they probably right? could. Right? Yeah. Though I don't think we should be rewarded or glorified that this happened. It's or be like a preventative type measure if they do that. I don't know. No. But there's a, quite a few parallels to Ozark if you've ever watched that show with like the money laundering and laundering, money laundering mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, murder and all that. Uh, me and Sarah just started watching that, so... It's a good... No spoilers. No spoilers. It's a good show. Ruth's my favorite character. Ruth. Uh, she's the ramen-haired lady. Oh. Okay. Did you just say ramen-haired? Yeah, it kind of looks like... Her perm looks like ramen noodles. It kind of does. Oh, my God. Oh, that makes so much sense. I knew exactly who you were talking about when you said that, but just like ramen hair makes, oh, it's a solid descriptor. Yeah. Somebody else used that descriptor when describing Ozark the other day, and I'm just like, yeah, that that works. That really works. So weird. Yeah. But um, our merch came in. Uh, we posted photos on that um, on our social medias. I just have to figure out how to do a sh- uh, store, set up a store. Um, I know that Instagram has ways of doing that, but I think there you have to link them through some sites. So I'm working on that currently and figuring out how to do that. That's this weekend's job. Um, but then hopefully we can sell, start selling merch. Hooray! Hooray! But yeah, the shirts came out good. Um, we got tank tops for this first batch. Um, there's probably going to be t-shirts and sweatshirts. I'm not quite sure of the prices yet, but mm-hmm. I'll figure it out. Jada says hello, too. Oh, well, hello, Jada. Hope yeah. you're feeling better. Yeah. she Poor pup was sick all this past week, so we got her to the vet yesterday, and 
She's starting to feel good, so Jada's on the mend. Hooray. Hooray. Um, other than that, I don't think I have any other announcements. Do you, John John? I do not, but we might have some stuff showing up on our Patreon soon, so Ooh. get ready for that. Exciting. Um, so you guys can find us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash file and vice. That's V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E. And yeah, I'll, I'll post on the socials when we post new stuff on Patreon. So stay mm-hmm. tuned. Hooray. Hooray. Thank you guys for listening and we'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Violent Vice Podcast. Cover art is by Colton Griffith. Music by Annabelle Rayback. And research done by Corinne Drybildis. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Violent Vice Podcast or on Twitter at Violent Vice. That's V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E. No ampersands here. If you want to help support the show, please do so on Patreon at patreon.com backslash Vice, or give us a once-off donation on PayPal with our email, valenvice at gmail.com. Again, that's V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E to keep the spooky stories coming. Thank you.